Okay. If you have a Bible with you, open up to Isaiah chapter 44. God is so good. Um, the past um, few weeks, uh, we've been looking at uh, church history. Uh, I spent two and a half years going through a book of the Bible, and that was great fun. And then I began sharing a series of what I call one-of messages, kind of things that have been hanging out there for a while. And, um, and really, without planning it week to week, God would put different things in my heart. And, and so the last few weeks have been on different revivals that have taken place. And so a few weeks ago, we looked at the McDonaldite revival that took place right here on Prince Edward Island back in 1829. Um, right here in central PEI. And then we took a look at the Toronto Blessing, arguably the greatest revival in Canadian history, lasted for like 14 years. Millions of people uh, were impacted uh, through it. And um, this morning I'd like to look at another revival. This is known as the Hebrides uh, Revival from 1949 to 1942. It lasted. But let's get, begin with a scripture verse and with prayer. Um, Isaiah 44, beginning of verse 1, it says, But now listen, Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says, He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you, do not be afraid. Jacob, my servant, Yasharun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land, and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. So I thank you for your word, for the promises that are in your word. And how, Lord, the impact of your word has just changed the hearts and lives of people throughout history. Verse 3, the first half of verse 3 in the King James Version says it this way. It says, for I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. This promise of the Lord from Isaiah 44 became the heart's cry of the Hebrides revival. And the Hebrides revival is considered one of the greatest revivals of all time. Not so much for the duration but because of the intensity of its impact and how God worked and moved in those people. And this revival, like so many revivals, began with prayer. Following World War II, spiritual life in this part of the world was generally waning. Um, and then two women began to pray. Two old women. Two sweet little old ladies. Well, what I've read about them, maybe they weren't all that sweet. They were kind of intense. And bold. One was Peggy Smith. She was 84 years old and unfortunately crippled. And Christine Smith. I think they were sisters. She's 82 years old and blind. These two dear little old ladies prayed constantly for revival, even though they were homebound uh, to their cottage. They lived near Bravis Village on the Isle of Lewis, the largest of the Hebrides Islands northwest of Scotland. And... Uh, much like Mike shared about God speaking to him in dreams, God spoke to Peggy Smith in a dream. 
and told her that revival was coming uh, to, to their island. Months later, uh, one winter morning, as the sisters just continued to pray and cry out for revival, God gave them, and I quote this from one of the reports I read, God gave them a, quote, unshakable conviction that revival was near. So because, so because of this, um, Peggy went and saw her local minister, um, Reverend James Murray McKay, and she exhorted him. I'm using the word exhorted tongue-in-cheek. I think she passionately berated him until he agreed to what she wanted, but she exhorted him uh, to call the church leaders to prayer. And I guess James knew, uh, knew Peggy well enough to take seriously the things she recommended. So three nights a week, the leaders would get together and they prayed and they would cry out to God for months. They would cry out for revival. Peggy and Christine from their, from their cottage and the church leaders would gather together in a local barn. And one night, kneeling there in the barn, they were crying out to God and they were especially crying out to God. They were praying back to God the promises of God from his word. And they were asking God to do just what it says in Isaiah 44, that first part of verse 3, where it says, I will pour water on him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And they prayed, Lord, we're thirsty. Pour water upon us. Lord, this land is spiritually dry. Let the, let the floods come yes. upon this dry ground. These were spiritually thirsty people, and their land was a spiritually dry. And then this one night while they're praying, there was a young man, a deacon in the church. They're in the barn, and, and just moved by the Spirit of God, he gets up and he begins to read Psalm 24, verses 3 to 6. And these are those words. It says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands. And a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by false gods, they will receive the blessing from the Lord, the vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. And when, when this young man, I believe his name was Donald, when he had finished, this young deacon challenged the minister and everyone else in the room to repentance. They've been praying for revival. Started with two little old ladies praying. Then the leaders of the church got together and there was a focused intention on prayer. God moves upon a young man's heart, reads the word of God and challenges all those there. Guys, it's time for us to repent. And he lifted his hands, this young man, and he prayed. He says, God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? And as the story goes, he got no further. He fell to his knees. And, and this is what they say happened. He fell into a trance. Not only did he fall into his knees, he fell into a trance. Right? I think, I think the, the New Age movement has robbed some biblical terminology. That was ours first. You know, there can only be a counterfeit if there's an original. Right? right? We're the original. New Age movement, occult, they're the counterfeits. God will put people into a trance. Read the Acts of the Apostles. Paul says that while he was in prayer, yes. not Paul, Peter, he's on the roof praying. He says that while he was in a prayer, he fell into a trance. That's our word. That's our term. And this is what God did to this young man. After he prayed and cries out to God, 
in a response to repentance, the Spirit of God falls on him, and it says that he fell into a trance. And in the words of the minister, James Murray McKay, at that moment, he and the other church leaders were gripped by the conviction of God. What happened in that bond, the, the power of God had just swept through their whole parish, through their entire community. And it's described this way, an awareness of God had gripped the community like they'd never seen before. They went from being unaware to being aware. So, so just a note, I was thinking about this. You know, the vineyard, I love being part of the vineyard, but part of vineyard history is that famous Mother's Day back in 1980 when Lonnie Frisbee was asked to speak that night by John Wimber, and after he preached for a while, he got up and prayed, Come Holy Spirit. And as John Wimber defines it, whammo! The Holy Spirit came and just, just hammered a whole bunch of people. Well, since that day, that term, that terminology, Come Holy Spirit, has just found its way into probably every charismatic, spirit-filled, Pentecostal-type church in North America. We, when we pray and we are lo looking for an increased activity of the Holy Spirit, we're inclined to pray, come Holy Spirit. And actually, I'm fine with that. Theologically, it's somewhat inaccurate, all right? Because God's omnipotent and he is um, omnipresent. He's all places at all times. He's, it's not like we have less of God and then we have more of God. He's just always there all the time. And I love what it says here about the revival in the Hebrides. There was an awareness of the presence of God. There's one worship song that we sing. It says, um, make us more aware of your presence. I think that things like revival come or a powerful move of the Spirit comes, not because God hadn't visited and now he's visiting. I think that the scales fall from our eyes. The, the deafness is released from our eyes. The, the calluses are taken from, from our hearts or our spiritual senses are suddenly heightened where they weren't before. We become more aware of what's always been there. And I think for us the last few weeks, that's been a dynamic that's happened. I, I can't say that anything else has changed. I don't think I've really changed on my preaching or the worship teams. I can't point to an element of how we do what we do that's somehow been upgraded or supersized or whatever you want to call it other than collectively, as a community, all at the same time, there's been this sudden increase of awareness. Oh God, do more of that. Do more. Pull back the veil. Right? Give us eyes that see. Give us ears that hear. Give us hearts, Lord, that are incredibly tender and sensitive and aware of your presence. Do more of that. Back to, the, back to this night in the barn in the Hebrides, one article states that that next morning after this intense prayer meeting, it says the following day, uh, the looms were silent. Little work was done on the farms as men and women gave themselves to thinking on eternal things gripped by eternal realities. I'm convinced that if there's a key to revival, and there are keys to revival. History teaches us that. Prayer is a key to revival. Repentance is a key to revival. Maybe the most significant key is this, is a heightened awareness of the reality and the presence of God around us. This is what they experienced. 
Then, sometime after that, one of the sisters had a vision. Trances and visions. And in the vision, she saw the church of her fathers, the church she grew up in, in that community. She saw it crowded with young people, which was not a, a current reality. But in this vision, she sees a church that's filled with young people, packed to the doors. And the other thing she saw, there was a strange minister standing in a pulpit, somebody she'd never recognized. So impacted by the vision, she goes back to, goes back to her pastor. Got to love this guy as a, as a pastor who's nurtured and cared for prophetic people over the years. Oh, I could just feel where he's coming from. So she goes back to the pastor and says, hey, you need to find a guest speaker for the church. I had a vision, the church is filled with young people, but it wasn't you in the pulpit. <laughs> And so uh, McKay, Pastor McKay, had heard that there was this young man named uh, Duncan Campbell where God was doing some stuff in the meetings that he had. And the guy was traveling, Duncan uh, Campbell was traveling and speaking. So he contacts him and says, hey, you know, come to our church. Come, come and do a series of meetings. And, um, and Campbell wrote back to him and said, no. <laughs> I'm not available. He said, I can't come. Maybe I can come next year, but I can't come now. And um, that's how it goes sometimes. Except when God shows up and he has his way anyway. God intervened and rearranged Campbell's uh, itinerary. And lo and behold, 10 days later, after this uh, sweet old woman has her vision, Duncan Campbell arrives on the island uh, and scheduled to do 10 days uh, worth of meetings. Well, those 10 days of planned meetings on the... Yes? Can you just tell them where the meetings are? It's, a, it's one, off of a, northwest of Scotland. The, you know, the, the main portion of Scotland is a whole series of islands. And the, uh, Lewis, the Isle of Lewis is the largest of these Hebrides islands, just north and west of, um, of Scotland. Okay. And so... Um, so the plan was for him to stay there for 10 days, uh, 10 meetings over 10 days. Well, he wound up staying there the next two years because God showed up. So I think we have a picture of uh, Duncan Campbell with Peggy and Christine Smith. There you go. I wouldn't mess with either one of those ladies either. I'll tell you. They show up by those, hey, God gave me a vision. Uh, so Duncan Campbell describes uh, what happened when he arrives to this invitation for these 10 days of meetings. Let me read it. I was going to paraphrase it and just try and tell it, but he tells the story so well. Would you just allow me a few minutes to read you his own accounting from Duncan Campbell, what it was like that first night when he arrives on the Isle of Lewis. And this is what he says. He says, I shall never forget the night that I arrived at the piers in the mail steamer. I was standing in the presence of the minister whom I've never seen, and two, two of his elders I never knew. The minister turned to me and said, I know, Mr. Campbell, that you're very tired. You've been traveling all day by train to begin, and then by steamer, and I'm sure you're ready for your supper and ready for your bed. But I wonder if you would be prepared to address a meeting in the parish church at 9 o'clock tonight on our way home. I've been a guest speaker in places, right? I gotta tell you what, after you've traveled all day, you want a shower and a meal, you want to get your brain back and just gear up for the next day. But what are you gonna do, right? They picked you up, they're paying your way, they're gonna house you and feed you. Yeah, 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 sure, I'll go to the meeting. I'm thinking, this is what he's gotta be thinking. He didn't want to come in the first place, right? 
And they're having a church meeting at 9 o'clock at night. If I called a meeting here for 9 o'clock at night, I'd be here by myself. Well, maybe two or three years. So 9 o'clock at night, right? On the way home, quote, unquote. It'll be a short meeting. Ha. And then we'll make, uh, make for, the, for the parsonage. And you'll get your supper and your bed and rest until tomorrow evening. He, this is what Campbell writes. Says, well, it'll interest you to know I never got that supper. <laughs> he says, we got to the church at about a quarter to nine to find about 300 people gathered. There's not a whole lot of people that live on this island. 300 people gathered. I would say about 300 people. And I gave an address. Nothing really happened during the service. It was a good meeting. A sense of God, a consciousness of his spirit moving, but nothing beyond that. So I pronounced the benediction, and we were leaving the church, I would say about a quarter to 11. I'm already impressed that there's 300 people at church from 9 o'clock to a quarter to 11. I'm already impressed with that. But nothing particularly happens. They are leaving church. It reminds me of a few weeks ago. Our service was over. Right? Nothing happened in my preaching or the eloquence, the amazingness of our worship. We were outside. Everything was cleaned up. We're hanging out in the lobby. Mike says, hey, I think we should pray for Tom and Nadine. Right? Outside the door. And God came and showed up. And you guys hung out for another hour and 15 minutes. Let me tell you, I'm a pastor in this church almost four years. Nobody hangs around here for an hour and 15 minutes <laughs> after service. It had to be God. It just had to be. Do it again, Dean. So Campbell goes on. He says, just as I'm walking down the aisle, along with this young deacon, the one who had prayed the psalm, Psalm 24, in the barn, it says, he suddenly stood in the aisle and looking up to heaven, said in a loud voice, God, you can't fail us. God, you can't fail us. You promised to pour water on the thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. God, you can't fail us. Could you sense his passion? This is an intense young man, right? There's fire on him. And the service is almost ending. And like Campbell said, nothing particularly special happened. And I think this kid's walking out the door and saying, no way. I am not getting cheated. And so before Campbell could get out the door, he just, he just cried out to God. I can't imagine we'd ever have anybody in our church who would behave that way. <laughs> Curly dark hair. <laughs> oh, I love the fire of God. And it's got to start somewhere on somebody, right? Thank you, Angie. So Campbell goes on, he says, soon he's on his knees in the aisle, and he's still praying. And then he falls into a trance again, right? They're just trying to get out of church. This young man's crying out to God, boom, he falls on the floor, he's in a trance. You ever see anybody in a trance? They look weird in a trance, man. It's like, what is going on with that person? Just then, right? I love the timing of God. Couldn't orchestrate it any better. Just then, the back door opened. It's now 11 o'clock. The door of the church opens and the local blacksmith comes back into the church and says, Mr. Campbell, something wonderful has happened. Oh, we were just praying that God would pour water on the thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And listen, he's done it. He's done it. Campbell goes on to say, I went to the door of the church and I saw a congregation of approximately 600 people. 600 people. Where had they come from? What happened? 
I believe that very night God swept in Pentecostal power, the power of the Holy Ghost. And what happened in the early days of the apostles was happening now in the parish of Bravos. He looks out the back doors of the church, trying to just get out. There's, a, there's 300, 11 o'clock at night inside the church. There's another 600 people waiting outside the church at 11 o'clock at night. He's like, how did they get there? He says, over 100 young people were at a dance in the parish hall. They weren't thinking about God or eternity. God was, in, God was not in all of their thoughts. They were there to have a good night when suddenly the power of God fell upon a dance. The music ceased, and in a matter of minutes, the hall was empty. They fled from the hall as a man fleeing from a plague, and they made for the church. They are now standing outside. Oh, yes, they saw the lights in the church. That was a house of God, and they were going to it. And they went. Men and women who had gone to bed, rose, dressed, and made for the church. Nothing in the way of publicity, no mention of a special effort except the imitation from the pulpit on the Sabbath before that a certain man was going to be conducting a series of meetings in the parish covering 10 days. But God took the situation in hand. Oh, he became his own publicity agent. A hunger and thirst gripped the people. 600 of them now are standing outside the church. Tom? Um, I don't know. Because oh, they would have very late sunset up there. I guess so. In the summer. That could have been a factor that, you know, if it's late summer, maybe there's still some sunshine that late at night. So now, there's still 300 people in the church. These other 600 people go into the church. The building that was designed to hold 800 people is now packed to capacity. The vision of a church filled with young people from this dance and a strange minister in the pulpit division that she had came to pass. It goes on to say that the service lasted until 4 o'clock in the morning. So finally at 4 a.m., he's trying to make his way out again. He's trying to leave for the parsonage to get, get a good night's rest. And as he's leaving, he says, just as I'm leaving the church, a young man came to me and said, <laughs> I might, at 4 o'clock in the morning, I'd have been said, you know what, dude, hold on to it, talk to me in the morning. You know? Oh, it is morning. Young man comes and says, Mr. Campbell, I would like you to go to the police station. He said, the police station? What's wrong? He says, oh. He said, there's nothing wrong. But there must be at least 400 people gathered around the police station just now. There's 900 people in the church. Another 400 people gathered at the police station at 4 o'clock in the morning. I, I've held conferences. I've done big conferences. Nobody plans meetings for 4 o'clock in the morning. Oh, by the way, those two sweet little old ladies, they lived right next door to the police station. You think that might have been a spiritual hotspot on that island? Campbell goes on, he says, Now, when I got to the police station, I saw something that will live with me as long as I live. I didn't preach. There was no need for preaching. We didn't even sing. The people were crying to God for mercy. Oh, the confessions that were made. There was one old man crying out, Oh, God. Hell is too good for me. Hell is too good for me. He says, this is Holy Spirit conviction. Now, mind you, that was on the very first night of a mighty demonstration that shook the island. Oh, let me say again. That wasn't the beginning of a revival. 
He says, revival began in the prayer meeting. Revival began, I'll say this again and again. Revival began in an awareness of God. Revival began in an awareness of God. Revival began when the Holy Ghost began to grip men. And that's how it began. It was like this for the next three years. Oh, three years. That's amazing. Until the whole island was swept up by the power of God. Guys, I want this. For our island. I want to see God come and move on Prince Edward Island in just that same way. Why not? The word of God says he's no respecter of persons. I remember when prophets first began to come to my church in Washington. And they would tell these amazing stories about these incredible encounters they had with God. And it provoked me to jealousy in the best possible way. I would sit there and listen to them and be fascinated by their stories. And i think to myself, you know God... You say in your word that you are no respecters of persons. You don't have favorites. If you could do it to them, then you could do it to me. And I began to cry out. For like two years, I cried out, Oh God, give me eyes that see and give me ears that hear. And don't you know, he responded to that passion and hunger and he opened my eyes and he allowed me to hear and he's given me incredible visions. That's amazing. Well, I read these stories of revival the last few weeks. It's been like gasoline on my fire. And, and I'm feeling that a similar thing. It's like, oh, God, you are no respecter of persons. If you could do it in Scotland, you could do it in the heavens. Why can't you do it right here on Prince Edward Island? Why not us? Why not here? Why not now? Oh, God, let it be so. Campbell goes on uh, in his story to tell about some of the characteristics uh, of the revival. Let me share some of that with you. He says, now perhaps I should go on to some of the features that characterize this remarkable movement. Well, already I've mentioned to you that men were found in trances. Perhaps I should say this, that in the Lewis revival, we never saw anybody healed. That wasn't a feature of it. We never heard anybody speak in tongues in a strange utterance personally. He says, I never heard anybody speak in tongues until a year or so ago. And that was in England. He said, we knew nothing whatsoever about manifestations. Don't misunderstand me. I, be I believe in every gift mentioned in the word of God. But it wasn't God's plan or purpose that we should be visited in that way. And we weren't. But... We saw strange manifestations. And then he goes on to tell a story about a manifestation about one particular meeting that was unusually dry. There's a whole series of islands in the Hebrides, and there, this event, this revival is taking place basically on, on Lewis, the Isle, Isle of Lewis. But the other islands and people living there, they hear what's going on, and so they invite Duncan Campbell to come and speak. So he goes to one of the other islands. I don't remember which one it was. But he tells this story of what happened on this neighboring island one night. He said it was a hard night. It was, I imagine, if you're in revival meetings and everybody's excited and you go to a meeting where it's not so lively, it feels like, oh man, this is kind of dry. This feels dead. And I think this is the experience that he had. And this is, this is the story he tells. He says, but I, he says, but oh, I tell you, the going was hard. <laughs> the going was hard. I looked down and I saw a little boy named Donald sitting there in the seat. And I saw that his head was bowed 
And I saw that the floor was wet with his tears. And I said to myself, well now, there's a young lad nearer to God than you or I. Oh, there is a young lad who is in touch with God. I said, Donald, I believe God would have you lead us in prayer. It was right in the midst of my address. And a young lad stood to his feet. So here we are, he's at this meeting, not much has happened. But there's a little boy in the front row who's truly being touched by God so much so. And he's crying so passionately, so intensely, that there's a puddle at his feet. And this captions, captures Duncan Campbell's attention. And he stops his message right in the middle of it and invites the young boy up and says, Donald, why don't you pray for us? He said, now, that morning at the boys' family worship, they were reading Revelation 4. His family would get together for prayer. And so that morning they were reading Revelation 4 where John has a vision of the open door. I saw a door open in heaven. And as that young boy stood, that vision came before him. And this is what he said in his prayers. God, I seem to be gazing through the open door. And I seem to see the Lamb standing in the midst of the throne. He has the keys of death and hell at his girdle. Then he stopped and began to weep. And for a minute or so, he wept and wept. All the brokenness. And when he was able to control himself, he lifted his eyes towards the heavens and he cried out to God, God, there is power there. God, there is power there. Let it loose. Let it loose. And suddenly, this is the little boy crying out to God in prayer. Oh, God, there's power there. Where is there power? He's looking into the heavens. He's having a vision of the lamb standing in the midst of the throne. Moved to tears, he begins to cry, Oh God, there's power there. Lord, let it loose. Let it loose. And suddenly the power of God fell upon the congregation. This was a dry meeting. <laughs> they had been whipped up into worship. There was no emotional frenzy. There was a little boy who had been touched by God, crying out to God. And God heard his cry. And suddenly the power of God fell upon the congregation. Of course, in Lewis and in other islands of the Hebrides, they stand to pray. They sit to sing. And now one side of the church threw their hands up like this and their heads back. And you would almost declare that they were in an epileptic fit. Anybody ever seen anybody in an epileptic fit? What does that mean? They're shaking like crazy and their heads back and their arms are like this. this is a, I bet you nobody had modeled that for them ahead of time. One half of the church is doing that. Their hands are up in the air, their heads back and they're shaking and he says, they threw their heads back and you would almost declare that they were in an epileptic fit, but they were not. Oh, I can't explain it. And on the other side, they were slumped over on top of each other. <laughs> but God, the Holy Ghost moved. Those who had their hands like this stayed that way for two hours. Now you try to remain like that with your hands up for a few minutes and you'll find it hard. But you... You would break their hands before they would take them down. And he says, now, I can't explain it. But this is what happened. Sound familiar? Man, we've had people shaking and quaking and shouting and yelling. Isn't that exciting? I tell you, I read this stuff, man, it's like gasoline on my fire. So why am I sharing the Hebrides revival with you guys today? 
There are many great revivals throughout church history, and I might speak on more, I don't know. But why did I pick to share about this revival here today? Because there's a prophetic connection between the Hebrides revival and Prince Edward Island. There's a prophet, his name is Jim, James Gall. He's been around a long time. I don't know him personally. I've been in meetings with him, but I don't know him personally. I know of him. Gifted, credible, been around a long time. A well-known prophetic voice. He was numbered among the Kansas City prophets, a group of prophetic guys from many years ago, with Bob Jones and John Paul Jackson, Mike Bickle, many other people. So back in 2004, James Gold gave a prophetic word in the spring of 2004 while he was speaking at a conference in Abbotsford, British Columbia. And this is what he said. In the midst of prophesying, this is where he goes. He says, the victory of the Lord is going to visit some place called Prince Edward Island. Where there's going to be an apostolic move. This is what he says next. He says, I don't even know where in the world that is. I can relate. When you guys contacted me and said, hey, we're interested in maybe you becoming our pastor. I was like, where is Prince Edward Island? I thought it was on the west coast. I had to look on the map and said, oh, you guys are on the east coast. He says, the victory of the Lord is going to visit some place called Prince Edward Island, where there's going to be an apostolic move. I don't even know where in the world this is. There is going to be an apostolic move of God that's going to come, come upon Prince Edward Island. It's going to be an invasion. An invasion, something similar to what occurred in the Hebrides Islands in the late 40s and 50s. It's going to overwhelm some place called Prince Edward Island. It's going to come upon it. It is going to be a glory cloud that's going to be seen. That's what Mike shared with us earlier. He didn't know I was going to talk about this. He saw formations in clouds where God spoke to him through pictures he saw in the clouds. This was back in 2004, James Gall, James Gall had this. He said, it's going to come upon it. It's going to be a glory cloud that's going to be seen. Mark this down and pray this into being. This shall happen. It shall be seen. There are going to be actual cloud formations over this island. And signs will be seen in the heavens. And wonders will begin to occur in the earth beneath. Oh, I'm encouraged. Right? I didn't orchestrate this with Mike. Mike had no idea I was going to talk about. I had no idea that Mike saw something in the clouds and that he would get up this morning and speak about that before I did. I'm thinking God got a great sense of humor and, he, humor and he knows how to orchestrate what he wants to orchestrate. This is going to come upon it. It's going to be a glory cloud that's going to be seen. Mark this down and pray this into being. This shall happen. It shall be seen. There are going to be actual cloud formations over this island. And signs will be seen in the heavens and wonders will begin to occur in the earth beneath. Powerful stuff in this promise that there would be victory. It would be an apostolic move. It would be something similar to what happened to, to the Hebrides. It would overwhelm our island. It would overwhelm PEI. The glory cloud will be seen. Pray this into being. Guys, we need to keep praying. Yes. We need to pray. When we pray, things happen. You know what happens when we don't pray? Nothing happens. <laughs> It shall happen. It shall be seen. Signs in the heavens, wonders on the earth. Thank the worship team to come back up. Lead us in a final song.
I'll tell you what else about James Gall. I only found this yesterday after I finished putting all my information together. There was a revival in 1995. Some people call it the Pensacola revival. Some call it the Browns revival down in Florida, Pensacola, Florida. He, James Gall had prayed over and prophesied to and declared that the Brownsville revival would come. And he was the one who prayed over the evangelist Steve Hill, who was used so mightily at that church. He prayed over him and prophesied to him in March of 1995. Three months later, on Father's Day, revival broke out at that church. And millions of people wound up going there. And again, it was a, it was a move of God mocked by, mocked by repentance. People just crying out, crying out to God. I tell you what, I'm encouraged, I'm excited. I think that there's more. I think God has more for us. I think he has a lot more for us. I think some of you have faithfully served the Lord for decades here on this island, and you've been praying into, oh God, work and move here. Oh God, do it in this place. Oh God, do it in this place. I want you to know, he's heard the cry of your heart. He's heard that the Lord has heard. So, yeah, so, come up here. Came up to me and he started talking to me about the Florida rights. And do you want to tell him what happened? Yes. So I looked at him. You can. You want to? No. I looked at him and I went, kind of stunned at first because on Thursday, June 9th, I was coming from the east. I never, I don't work east or uh, west, but I was working west that morning, early in the morning, and I was coming back and I was coming up a big hill over here. And as I hit the crest of the hill, you're really high. I looked to the east, and I saw this huge cloud in the form of a wave coming from the eastern tip of the island, coming across. Mm. And I thought, there's the glory wave. Mm. And the minute I said that, I just felt Holy Spirit just testified to immediately to me. So when I went to church, on Sunday, and he spoke to me about a glory cloud coming. I looked at him and said, I saw it Thursday. It's coming, guys. It's coming from the east, and it's coming. I saw it. I literally saw it. That morning also, I was um, in, the, in my car driving, and I had a really, another huge encounter with God. My car filled up with the smell of incense. Okay? And it freaked me out, but I was in a place of worship when it happened, and it was kind of, it was in a place more of repentance and worship, and I was just asking God to give me again clean hands, which Sean talked about, which means, clean hands means our handling of people. That's what that means when God's talking about, he wants us to have clean hands. He wants us to handle each other with love, love. And pure heart has to do with our motives. Why do we do what we do? Right, and I think uh, Tom's talking about um, God is bringing us into places where we can really come before Him and cry out for Him to give us those things. And I just I see it coming. I see it coming. It's coming. And thanks for sharing that this morning, Tom, because yeah. it's really encouraging. Awesome. Yeah. Teresa, did you have something? The sort of spirit of God on you. I was wondering. All right. Who? 
So why don't we why don't we make a circle here now? Just we'll just go around the chairs okay. or. Can I just say one thing before we before we do this? I just really <laughs> I think this is connected to what you're doing. So we're in the spirit of repentance, and I just feel like I need to repent. God, I just need to repent because I've been the one with epileptic seizures for over three years. I've been carrying this burden. And I just feel like I need to just repent of it because it offends me when it happens. It offends me when it happens. And now you guys get to, sh to share in that. <laughs> and I feel like I can just let that down. I can just let it go now. So I just want to put that at the foot of the altar right now. And just say, Holy Spirit, come however you want. Just come however you want. Just felt like the Spirit of God just rest on that. And then I'm going to hold off on moving us. I don't want to disrupt the moment. But let's, let's all pray. Let's all pray our own prayer of repentance. Oh, God. Lord, we confess that we've sinned against you. But for some of us, our sins have been private and the stupid things that we've done that impact us or those closest to us. Lord, we repent. Lord, for some, our sins have really been directly against you and who you are and what you're doing. And Lord, we repent. Lord, we changed right now. We take... We make the decision, we change right now. We change, we go 180 degrees. We walk away from going our way. And after our own desires, Lord, we turn toward you. Like the prodigal returning to, to the Father, we, we run to you, oh God. Make the decision. Oh God. We turn to you, oh God. Do it, Lord. Lord, pour out water upon the thirsty and flood this dry ground. Pour water on the thirsty and flood this dry ground. Lord, forgive us for all of our sins. And as your word says, purify us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we ask you, we pray this morning that you would be faithful to the prophetic promise you gave to James Gall all the way back in 2004. Yes. Lord, let us see that victory here on Prince Edward Island. Lord, we ask for whatever it means, in the fullness of it, let there be a, a truly apostolic move here on PEI. And Lord, let it be similar to the Hebrides. Come and invade us, oh God. Invade us like you invaded them. Let it not be because of our organizational or administrative skills or the meetings that we hold. Let it be because of the meetings that you call. And as you move upon the hearts and minds of men and women, let it be truly sovereign and a God-sized thing. Our, our cry is this, can we play too? Include us, oh God. Let us be numbered among you. Overwhelm PEI, Lord. Let the glory cloud be seen. Bring it into being. Yes. Let there be signs in the heaven and wonders yes. on the earth. Yes. Do it, oh yes. God.
Lord Jesus. Oh, we thank you, Lord God. Anthony, can you, what was that opening verse that you, can you just bring that up? The opening verse at, at the end, and it didn't pop poetry. I'm sorry, not Anthony. <laughs> it was Isaiah, right? Isaiah Isaiah? 44. Just to, to keep in this, in this about pouring out the land, pouring out. Can I just see that verse again? Yeah. Okay. So the end of that, like poplar trees. Like poplar trees, okay? So as soon as he said that, I looked that up in, in, um, online. There, I learned, this is some pretty cool stuff. They picked poplar, and I thought, why would they pick poplar? This is, there's three different kinds of poplar trees. Poplar trees are the fastest growing trees of all the trees. They shoot up like eight feet in a year. Eight feet in a year, that's pretty crazy. Um, the second thing they said about it is that um, the flowers come out really, really quickly. They bud really quickly. You can leave in the morning and have like three or four flowers, and by the time you get home, there's like thousands of flowers. Come on! That's awesome. <laughs> How awesome is that? <laughs> there's a third kind of poplar tree um, that's used as a windscreen. <laughs> it's used as a windscreen. Catching the wind. Catching the wind. How great is this? I'm holding this, and my son brings me a picture of a tree that he just threw in, in group. And in case you're wondering, this is Jesus, Holy Spirit, and the Father <laughs> in the clouds, who he always draws. So, in building with this water, this spirit that's coming, we're going to grow like trees. Amen. Not just any kind of trees, we're going to grow like poplar trees. We're just going to shoot up, and the flower and the fruit are just going to come. We're just going to... Yes. Just pray into that. <laughs> oh, God. Do it, Lord. Do it just like it says in your word. Lord, rock our world. Take the little that we are. Lord, we're like the boys, loads of fishes. Lord, it's little boy's lunch. That's who we are, Charlottetown Town Take us, Lord, and use us. Do, do what only you could do, oh, God. Impact the multitudes. Let there be 12 basketfuls left over. Make it so. When we come form a circle around this bank of chairs, will they lead us in a final song? <laughs>